The thing about comparing rates at Progressive.com is that by now you've heard a lot of ads about comparing rates at Progressive.com. We probably don't even need the words comparing rates anymore to remind you that seasoning steaks at Progressive.com is an easy way to save on car insurance. Or that swimming in trousers helps you find the lowest rate. And that's the thing about foraging for truffles. You've heard a lot of ads about standing tiptoe on a cinder block. Compare rates and <clears throat> sing softly to a wounded field mouse and save at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Comparison rates not available in all states or situations. Here's three great reasons to get the new Samsung Galaxy S21 5G at T-Mobile. One, it's free for both current and new customers when you trade in an eligible device. Two, T-Mobile's the leader in 5G coverage. So, three, you can unleash 5G speeds in more places with your new phone. Get the new Galaxy S21 free at T-Mobile, the leader in 5G coverage. Phone via 24 monthly bill credits plus tax. If you cancel credit, stop and balance on required finance agreement may be due. Contact us. Qualifying credit and consumer plan required. See details at T-Mobile.com. You're listening to the Heroes Podcast Network. Hello, and welcome to episode 29 of Kaiju Curry House. I am Joe, and tonight I am joined by my two fellow co-hosts, Alex. Hi there. And Paul. Hello. And tonight we are going to be talking about and giving you our opinions on the film Howl from Beyond the Fog by, well, directed by Daisuke Sato. And it is a gem. But first, let's get to everyone's favorite pun, yours and mine. What have Kaiju been up to? Paul, I'm going to turn the tables on you tonight. Oh, what have Kaiju been up to? Well, I think first of all we have to address. I don't know if you've seen it. The new music video by Eminem titled Godzilla. Have either of you seen that, Gem? I I, I have not. Spill the beans because this I is did not know this existed. So, so did not know it existed. No, neither did I. Um, it's a step up from Assassin's Creed. Well done. <laughs> Yeah, I'm I'm still playing that, but there's been no kaiju, so I I won't I won't go in there. But yeah, basically, my son came home from school the other day with his friends, and I thought I'll be I'll be cool. I'll put on YouTube music and you know see yes. what, see what's down with the kids. And um, Eminem was the, was the first in trending in the UK with a track called Godzilla, and I thought, oh, this should be interesting. And it starts off with Eminem in a supermarket picking up a bottle of Godzilla whiskey. Um, there's Godzilla it. whiskey. Wait, wait, whoa, there's whoa! Godzilla whiskey. There's Godzilla whiskey. Yeah. What, make, well, what makes there, there it actually Godzilla is. whiskey? Well, it's got a picture of Godzilla on the on the whiskey. On the okay, label. okay, fine, fine, fine. Um, yeah, you can actually buy Godzilla whiskey. Well, they, they did make a limited amount many years ago. This right. is like some cheap knockoff that Eminem's drinking. Um, and then behind him come two people dressed up in like a, a skinny, legendary kind of Godzilla suit. So you have Eminem, Eminem swigging bottle of whiskey down the aisle with two Godzillas walking behind him. Good grief. (laughs) Yeah. I'm looking at this up on my phone as you're talking here, Yeah, if I say, if you're not driving, please just go on YouTube. There was something (laughs) trending for a little while on social media that was linked to Godzilla. And then it was like, ah, it's not what I think it is. It's not Godzilla. Yeah, it's not Godzilla. It's It's probably this. (laughs) Um, maybe it was. So I think it's about him becoming a monster when he drinks alcohol. Uh, I think was kind of like the point. A bit a late like one video. 
you're not you when Sorry. you're hungry, eat a Snickers. Yes, yeah, just like um, just like that. Mm. But yeah, M and M's. Okay, okay. Because throughout the video, he's just doing shots and, and drinking lots, mm. and, and then he and he he throws up um, Lego bricks, which I, I assume oh, is like posted wow. in the buildings. Mm. And then he's walking down the street, and they're like the floors cracking beneath his feet. Oh, so yeah, it's different. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, it's it's worth it alone just for that opening ten seconds mm. of seeing Eminem with some Godzilla whiskey and nice. two skinny Godzillas behind him. <laughs> I just and I think I, what, I have to share that with the community. No, no, thank you for that. And what else can you bring to the table? Have you seen any decent films recently? I haven't seen any. I haven't really watched that many films recently. Mm. But I did see that might change. <laughs> I, <laughs> I did see some interesting comics coming out soon. Um, it's Dark Horse. And they've teamed up with 20th Century Fox. They're producing a five-episode miniseries of Alien based on the original screenplay. They're doing that for Predator too, yeah. And they're doing yeah, so, and they're doing it for Predator as well. So mm. I think that should be quite interesting to see what the original take on the franchises were going to be. Yeah. Have you read uh, Dark Horse's um, Earth War? Alien's Earth War? No, can't say I have. Basically, it picks up after the film Aliens. Alien 3 does not exist. Alien Resurrection does not exist. But the aliens find their way to Earth. And it is how we slowly lose the fight in that. And mm. then how we have to retreat from Earth and the, the eventual retaking of Earth. Okay. It's kind of like a metaphor for the Alien franchise generally, isn't it? We've been slowly <laughs> losing since Aliens, you know, bit by bit. You know, things have been sort of falling apart and we're we're waiting for a film to take the franchise back by storm. Has it happened? Alien yeah. Covenant? No. What are your thoughts on it? Well, Paul's not going to hate on an Alien movie, is he? Alien Covenant? That He's got every right to. I'm, I'll, I'll do my best not to hate on that one because I don't know if I can. I don't, um, I, no, I didn't enjoy it. I can't lie. I was I was hopeful, but no, it it wasn't good. I was hopeful. I was hopeful for both of those two, and honestly, they they really let me down, both in terms of practical effects, dread, claustrophobia, like all the things that made the first two Alien films, I think, really spectacular, was lost on all of the remaining. Yeah. I think the third made a good effort, but because of yes. arguments and direction and production, it had a lot jiggery pokery around and i don't think that that helped it at all after that it was kind of hard to enjoy yeah. the series and i still enjoyed alien 3 yeah especially the um director's cut the director's cut is far better i will give it that okay i'll give that a look actually because I didn't, I didn't know about that yeah but um there's a fella online on youtube and he goes by alien theory and what he does is he summarizes or basically reads the comic books to you and he does an amazing job, but you can essentially watch Earth War, uh, okay, for for free on YouTube. How long is this? Very long. You will be quite entertained. <laughs> this has this is being recorded during the coronavirus. Um, so I say yes if I'm quarantined. Yeah. Mm. So if you're quarantined, check out Alien Theory on YouTube and look at the Earth War. Um, series that he's done. It's really quite fantastic. And it uh, basically tells the story of Hicks, Ellen Ripley, and Newt as they navigate the Earth War in the comic books that Dark Horse did. 
Hicks does not die. Ellen Ripley is not impregnated by a face hugger, and Newt also lives. And they all grow and develop as characters, and is really quite fantastic. They also visit the okay. alien homeworld to find the original queen, mm. which is quite interesting too. Oh. So, not to give okay. any too not give too much away, and to hijack Paul's, uh, what have Kaiju been up to? But. <laughs> Give it a go if you're an alien fan. But we do hijack yeah. them so well here. Yeah, the god. Yeah, we you do you do. I mean, <laughs> just just to step in there and literally hijack. What I was going to say was, I think the best thing to happen to the Alien franchise in say the last ten years was Alien Isolation, the game, which I thought was just oh, that was fantastic. Oh, yeah. what a what a so game! So scary. Yeah, so tense. Like, and it got the universe just absolutely spot on. Alien Isolation. Yes, what a belter! Oh, um, did go. you play it with the camera? Um, no. Why well, VR? Like if you, like, yeah, if you've got um, if you've got like the Xbox Connect or the PlayStation camera, yeah. Um, it it will use its microphone, so you've got to be quiet, or the alien will hear you, oh. and you can peer around corners by just physically moving your head oh. or lifting your head up, oh. just to really immerse you. And it, it was terrifying, but so much fun. Yeah. Wow. I have the uh, Alien vs. Predator PlayStation 3 game, which I feel was really well done. And it is a uh, first-person shooter game, or, you know, like, spear or biter, I guess, as it were. Yeah. But it's the plot line that I think that really oh, drives yeah. that game. And you have three intersecting plots between the Alien, the Marine, and the Predator. And they're all really well done, so you can give that a check out, too. It shouldn't cost that much money, I wouldn't think, if you go down to your local CEX or whatever. But enough about oh, Aliens and Predator. At this point. Paul, you need to ask somebody. I do. Um, Alex, what have Kaiju been up to? I decided to stock up big time on... On toilet roll. Um, <laughs> they don't. <laughs> wow. Yeah, the, the only kaiju I've seen have been the people, you know, in the, in the, in the supermarkets taking things from the elderly. That, that, that's my opinion there. Um, no, the, what I've been doing, what I've been, I, I can't, whoa, what? Um, you've stopped me in my tracks there, Joe. I'm stumbling over my own words. Um, what I've been up to is stockpiling Blu-ray and I've been watching quite a few movies because I thought, you know what, I need some new material. And I have recently watched Mysterious Island, 1961, which is a Ray Harryhausen special effects movie. And I haven't Brilliant seen that. Film. Yeah, nice. it's great fun. And I haven't seen that since I was a little boy and I've thoroughly enjoyed that. And I put a tweet out about it, which went down well because I watched that with my children and they were mesmerized. They loved it. It's, it's a U certificate. So it's age appropriate for all. And it's just a very nice film. It's charming it's got excitement in it there's enough peril that it's exciting without being kind of harrowing in any way and then the total flip of that i watched uh the mist because i'd never seen it before that's not child the appropriate film. no the um, last, or the tv the series last five minutes of that film are just oh, too traumatizing no, the, 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 the tv series can piss off you know i'm not interested <laughs> in that um yeah like, I mean, I've not watched it personally, but I've read the reviews and it was apparently not so great. But I sat down and watched um, The Mister. And I'd, like I said, never seen it before. And wow, what a great film. Oh, it was amazing. It just ticked every box for me. It's like, there are great monsters in it. There is great action sequences. I like some of the use of practical effects. 
and the characters were convincing and I was engrossed. What did you two think of it when you saw it? That was a traumatic end. If you're a parent, do not watch The Mist. <laughs> Um, it was a pretty horrible ending, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's not. It leaves whole- you on a bit of a downer, folks. Spoilers. Yeah. Um. <laughs> but it's great. I mean, yeah. It, no, really enjoyable film. It is a kaiju movie. Yeah. It certainly is. There's yeah. a big old one walking around there, isn't there? The, 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 there's there's a big lad, and there's also like a still not so big lad, but he's quite chunky. Yeah. There's there's a bunch. There's a bunch of strange critters yeah. in that movie. Yeah. It's it, it's it's solid. I mean, um. Speaking of, Joe, what have Kaiju been up to? I bought something. Is this is this news? You know, you always buy something. <laughs> well, I'm always <laughs> looking at something. I'm yes. always looking. I don't always buy it. But anyways, mm. um, the X Plus, Star Ace, um, 1 million years BC, Allosaurus came out. Mm. And I had that bad boy ordered within five minutes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, I saw that I saw one site, it was going to be a limited edition of 600. So I, I hopped on that and, uh, I'm quite glad that I did. I did not get the Turok that went with it because quite frank, I thought you would. No, I wouldn't. And the reason being is (laughs) I'm getting it for the critter. Yeah. And you know, like I, I like that Ray Harryhausen critter and I did not need to rock but uh, i'm quite happy that i did get it i'm really excited for it i got it through awesome collector um what else have i been up to i have recently watched terror of mechagodzilla again this week um that we're recording actually marks the anniversary of that film being released Mm. and uh it is my favorite godzilla film by far and large it's fantastic Um, 45 years is it 45th anniversary came out in 75 Yes. So, yeah. 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 But uh, I did that. And then, um, yeah, just kind of been pottering around lately. Um, just enjoying. Did you watch Terror of Mechagodzilla by yourself or with other people in the audience? All right. Other people in the audience. There is currently a lady that is tolerating my company. And I subjected her mm. for her first Godzilla film, God- Godzilla vs. Megalon. And, um, <laughs> poor girl. Yeah. <laughs> she, we had a pretty good laugh watching that film. So then to try and redeem it, I uh, put on Shin Godzilla, which we're on our third attempt to try and finish that film with her. So we'll and, see how that ends up going. Oh, the third yeah. You might just give up at this point. <laughs> well, it's one of those things that, uh, by the time we sit down and watch a film, it's quite late. So we end up falling asleep. To be perfectly frank, so yeah, yeah. That, that is a yeah. classic parenting issue with films, yeah, well, isn't it? You know, Godzilla versus Megalon was no trouble at all, mm. so that was great. She had a pretty good dialogue going the whole film, and I put some of it up on Twitter um, at UK Kaiju, and uh, you can suss that out and find it if you're really interested. But um, no, it was an interesting experience. Mm. But I did watch Terror of Mechagodzilla alone. I will say though that. I stand by um, what I have tweeted and what I've said it a couple of times. Godzilla's entrance in that film, his first yes. entrance, is truly spectacular. What's his entrance in that film? I, I can't it remember is, it at all. Well, it's beautiful. That's what his entrance is. Uh, is it like in Final Wars? Uh, I mean, it's it's mm, the, the it's, lightning it's and um, you know, Titanosaurus gets knocked down, and you're like, well, what, what's hit him? And then, you, and then, the, the, oh, it's him, isn't it? You like him? It's it's not yeah. the lightning. It's it's his breath. But basically, Titanosaurus is terrorizing the city. 
you know Godzilla's on his way because the aliens have sussed that out. But um, he's, you know, Titanosaurus is wrecking face in uh, this berg. And out of nowhere, he gets hit by you-know-who's atomic breath. And uh, actually, no, that, that, that's slightly after the best part. So it, the, actually, but prior to him getting hit, you see the camera just kind mm. of pan away briefly. And on the skyline, it's quite dark, but you can definitely see something large loom over the buildings and it makes no sound. But you know something really big has just suddenly entered the fray. Then we get the atomic breath. Then Titanosaurus, you know, takes a dive, as you know, all great suit actors did in that time. And you see like an explosion, kind of, like a small explosion kind of in Godzilla's foreground that lights him up and you see him and he does the roar. And then he just comes forward and squares up with Titanosaurus. And it is great. It is arguably the best Godzilla entrance that he's ever had. And in my opinion, the best in the shower one. Ooh. That film was directed by Ishiro Honda, who directed, I'll go ahead and say it, the best Godzilla films of the Shawa era. And he really did a spectacular job closing out Godzilla in the Shawa time frame. Yeah. So there we are. All, all of the above. Yeah. Um. Well, I think we need to find the best Godzilla entrance now. Oh, no, you're, you're not going to argue that one. I'm always going to say that's the best Godzilla entrance. Well, I, yeah, so that's, <laughs> okay. that's, a, that's a message to any of our listeners. And we could possibly broaden that because we could ask, you know, what do you think is the best entrance for any Godzilla movie? But also, oh, yes. what do you think is the best entry for any monster movie? Maybe you've seen something in Pacific Rim where you think that's a cool entrance or another movie that we're not even thinking of. What do you think is the best entrance to the kaiju genre? Let us know. And we're going to take our first break. When we return, we will be discussing Halb from Beyond the Fog, what we think of it, and what it's meant for us, given that it's a fairly recent movie. So we'll return soon. Hello, this is Ray from the Heroes Podcast Network. And I am here to tell you about Screen Heroes. Do you love superheroes? What about superheroes in film and TV? How about weird rankings like top five lists or maybe three people just arguing about top five lists? Either way, we are the podcast for you. Check us out every Tuesday night live on Twitch. Or subscribe to Screen Heroes Podcast on iTunes, Spreaker, and Google Play. Now, back to your regularly scheduled podcast. Hello, welcome back to the second part of this episode of Kaiju Curry House, the British bi-weekly podcast dedicating to bring you the creme anglais British B-movie banter. We are about to discuss Howl from Beyond the Fog. Thank you for smiling there, <laughs> Paul. That You nearly, nearly threw me off guard there. There we go. Um, initial thoughts. Initial thoughts. What did we think of Howl from Beyond the Fog? Who wants to go first? Uh, let's go, go, go around the, t- go around the table. I, okay. I, I'll speak first of all. Um, I didn't know what to expect because I knew very little about it other than I knew that there were going to be puppets involved. But then to be honest, when I think of puppets being used in film, I confess that my first thought is, ah, oh, like in Team America, we'll police. Exactly. And it's like, yes. No. Yeah, so I'm, I'm going to admit that, and I say, ah, um, oh, so it's a comedy. No, Alex, no, it's no, it's it's not a comedy. It's not Team America, World Police. So I wasn't sure 
what the tone was going to be. And then I sat down and watched it and then the opening scene happens. And I was like, oh, oh, that's a bit serious. And that was, that was good. It was shorter than I would have liked, but then I understand the limitations of independent filmmaking. And the fact that I wanted it to be long is a good thing. Because by the end of it, I was like, ah, oh, oh, I'd like a bit more actually. So, you know, um, similarly, you know, other independent films that I've watched when we had Alan Maxson up and he was talking about Bettina. By the end of that, I was like, oh, that was cool, but I'd like to see a bit more of that. And I think that just comes to the territory of, you know, shorter films. Um, I was very impressed. It was, I'll fully admit, it was better than I expected it to be. I thought with it kind of being independent that the budget might be so limited that it feels schlocky. And that, that might sound hugely ignorant of me, but I, I did not know what to expect. That is the main thing. What about the two of you? Right. So when I was going into this film, I also did not know what to expect. I went in, you know, with no spoilers, and I'm glad that I did. Um, hmm. The first thing I'm going to say is that it is an absolutely fantastic directing debut. Um, it hmm. uh, It hits all the right marks. It is not a full-length feature film, but what um, Daisuke has gone for is quality over quantity. And he very much gave it his own mark and its own feel. I dare say it is one of the more unique kaiju films I have ever seen, if not the most unique. Um, it has a very serious tone. Um and I think that, that works really well for the short story that he based on, which we're based off of. So this film takes a lot from the Foghorn from Ray from Ray Bradbury, and which is also a short story. And I think that if you were to take that story from Ray Bradbury and turn it into a film, it'd be a very similar length, and it would be somewhat similar in tone. The direction that he went with. Um, for those in the audience listening right now, um, there are no live action human actors. They are done with puppets. This was an artistic decision in the third part of this podcast. We did have questions um, that we asked and that was one of them. And it's, it's explained why, but the puppets themselves, I feel add to the feeling of it. Um, they kind of give it more an artistic direction than they would ever be a hindrance and I think that's really well done on that part. They aren't Team America unbelievable. They are, you know, like really well done little characters. Um, mm. The creature is well designed. Um, we, as I understand it, there was a rather famous uh, suit maker that was involved in that. Um, please, one of you say his name so that I don't be the American. So I'm not the American that mispronounces it. Yeah. Okay, so I'm going to be the British person that mispronounced it. I think it's pronounced Kaizo Marase, and I'm hoping that the first person to comment under us posting this is, ah, oh, you butchered it, it's da-da-da-da-da, and they correct me. So, you know, bring it on, please educate me if I said it wrong. Uh, Kaizo Marase, and who is that individual, Joe? What's their significance? So, he is the person behind creating two of my favorite creature suits, uh, Titanosaurus and Varan, amongst many, many others. He is a legend in the kaiju fandom for creating many memorable characters. And the Kickstarter that was done for this film was largely to bring him on board and in addition, obviously, to get the film funded. But um, I'm really glad that they did so. The creature is very memorable. It is well done. It has its own stamp. It isn't 
like anything else that, that I've seen that's come before it. So I'm really quite happy with all the directions that this film went in. Um, for me, I think it is the appropriate length. And uh, yeah, there we go. Paul, what did you think about it? Uh, I was the same as you, went in completely blind. I knew nothing about this film. And I was surprised to see they were puppets. So um, the opening scene was the... Um, I thought, oh, okay, they're using a puppet. Fine. And then like, there's, a, there's, a, there's scenery. And I thought, oh, it's, I couldn't actually tell if, if it was a model or if it was real life. And then I realized, actually, the whole film is just model. It's just puppets. And I wasn't really sure how to take that at first. It, it just took me a while, okay. I think, to adjust because I wasn't expecting that at all. Uh, obviously... So I mean, normally you watch mm. film and it's it's subbed or dubbed, and obviously this one there's no lip movement at all. Um, characters are just kind of moving. I, it it threw me. So on my first watching the whole thing, I was kind of almost wrestling with why am I watching something with puppets? I don't watch things with puppets normally. This isn't Thunderbirds um, or Team America, as you probably chose out as a as a much better shout. Um, but I think the further I got into it, the more I enjoyed it. I just had to kind of get over that. Um, I did watch it a second time, mm. and I did enjoy it a lot more because I guess I had that. I, I knew what I was walking into, and I could just enjoy the film for what it was. And um, so yeah, on second time, yeah. Again, as you say, it's, it's um, I think is it forty minutes long around that time. It it felt long enough to tell the story that they wanted to tell. I was left wanting a bit more, yeah. but not massively. I think if they went on too longer, it would have dragged. So I'm quite happy with the length. Yes. Um, yeah, I can see that. I mean, it, it has everything I want in a kaiju film. There's, you know, I, I can't complain at all. It had the story. It had had the creature. Um, the, the story is very, you know, serious. And um, it's, yeah, I've, I've, once I got over the fact it was puppets, I enjoyed the film. That's that's what I'm gonna say. I won't, we won't rate it or anything, but yeah, it's um, it's very unique. I think what what Joe said. It's there's nothing else like it that springs to mind anyway. Um, and I would encourage people to watch it if they get the chance. And I think that brings us to a useful segue because you know we are currently existing in uncertain times, and talking about conventions is you know, slightly jinxed at the moment. However, if things fall into place positively, which I very much hope they do, and this summer plays out as we hope it will, one of the films that we are intending to play is Howl From Beyond the Fog. And a massive thank you to Daisuke Sato, because he's given us, he's provided us a digital copy of the film, which is how we watched it in the first place. He was very kind to ensure that there was an English subtitle copy sent to us, which is great. And he is allowing us to play it at the convention, which I think is just wonderful because it means that UK audiences will be able to see yeah. it, you know, effectively in comparatively a big screen setting, which is, which is wonderful. But if you're coming along expecting a big budget kaiju movie, you know, or something, you know, quirky and far out, well, yes, it's unusual, but, but it's not a wacky film. Does, is that fair to say, yeah, gents? It's not, not wacky no. at all. But, you know, it, it, 
it has a it, it has a sense of art direction which could mm. be taken the wrong way if if you aren't yeah. aware of what the movie's trying to say like if you came in halfway you'd be like <laughs> i beg your pardon but if you're watching it from start mm. to finish you'll recognize that the art direction is very calculated and it isn't a silly film at all it is no it it, it I dare say there there isn't much uh, humor in that film at all. No, but uh, it, it is very poignant at times, and it's it's well directed. It is, it is a fantastic first attempt. It really is. It, it just oozes quality. It really does. Who did you watch it with for the two of you? I watched it solo, um, just okay because I don't know anyone that likes monster movies. <laughs> That's why I'm on the group. <laughs> <laughs> puppet, pup, yeah, puppet monster movies. Puppet monster, yeah. I mean, I might be able to convince someone to watch a big budget, mm. like you know, Kong or Godzilla at the cinema, but something like this, no, yeah, no chance. I mean, there's, there's always ways of you know tricking people into watching our <laughs> fandom. Like in terms of the Venn diagram, you could say, oh, you like Team America, <laughs> yeah. didn't you? Yeah, oh, so you like puppet movies, right? <laughs> Sit down, watch Hal from the On the Fog. I know that when I worked at the co-op um, back in, like, I don't know, was it 2006 or something, I got told by my manager at the time, we've got a lot of copies of Brokeback Mountain, Mr. Wainwright, and we need to shift them. And I'm like, all right, fine. So, if, you know, for the older customers, you like Westerns? Get yourself a copy of Brokeback Mountain. The younger customers, ah, oh, well, there's attractive male actors in it. You know, ladies, you get a copy of Brokeback Mountain job done there's a venn diagram for selling everything so you know if you like puppets and team america you will love howl from beyond the fog it's just that it's a very different viewing experience um joe who did you watch it with so this same patient lovely woman who i subjected to godzilla mm. versus megalon her first entry into the kaiju fandom was howl from beyond the fog so what an interesting entry well, like I said, I didn't know what I was getting into, so we watched it, you know, together, and it was just ah, okay. So at points, I think culturally, it comes from a different place, as you would expect it to. It was made by somebody who grew up in a different culture, so watching it as an American and a British person, you know, like both of us, yeah, we were like, ah, oh, all right, okay, oh, that's really lovely. Mm. Oh, wow, okay, they went there. Hmm. Oh, geez. And then, like, we both – we appreciate it for what it was. It was an absolutely stellar first attempt. Um, like I said, we thought it was, like, the appropriate length. We just thought it was a sound film at the end of it. Like, we couldn't really dock it for anything regarding quality or effort. Now, I can say it won't be everybody's cup of tea. I think that's no. safe to say. Mm. But mm. I think those looking for a quality film that is different from the mainstream – will find this film and they will really enjoy it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah. Yeah. I, I totally subjected lovely girl to it. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I feel guilty because I feel like the whole kind of, you know, long running in joke about Godzilla vs. Megalon is the best film. And now you, you know, your poor girlfriend has watched this utter turd of a movie as the first kind of entry, you know, th that's the first bit of Godzilla that you've played as. I feel, I'm so sorry, honestly, of <laughs> all the things to play them. I mean, like, it was the, the messages that you were sending being like, this is a really weird film. And I've watched the Mystery Science Theater 3001 and they, <laughs> like, I mean, 
even they were like, what the hell is this? And there are some moments where like, when Megalon is being summoned up, and I realise I've gone away from Hal from Beyond the Fog, but I need to say this, there are some moments when you're thinking, as Megalon rises from the ground, and you've got all of the um the Atlantean priestesses that look like Ku Klux Klan members chanting, and it's like, <laughs> what on earth is going on? <laughs> and then, uh, Joe, you were saying that she'd spot your, your lady friend had spotted the was it the tiara. The, yes, the, the Megalon Tiara. Yeah. <laughs> yes, which I think I need to make that now or find someone on Etsy who will make that. Do you reckon there are Etsy sellers that sell Megalon Tiaras? Oh, well, we have that one uh, lovely woman in our group. I'm going to look her up right now because she's always posting absolutely fabulous art. You guys know the one I'm talking about. Is surely. that the, the jewelry uh, maker? The jewelry maker, and she makes Falcor and a whole bunch of other things. Her name is Jess Wilcock, and she's on Etsy. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, like, well, totally. I will contact you, you know, mark my words, and I'm going to commission a Megalon Tiara. Why? Because I'm committed now. I'm 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 committed to promoting this awful, <laughs> awful movie. So let's return to Howl from Yon the Fog. I watched it with, um, well, three times now, and I watched it with three different people, and the unanimous kind of response was, hmm... Ah, interesting. And <laughs> it's not uh, interesting. You chose luminescent pink to colour in your river. You know, that I sometimes say to my pupils, ah, oh, interesting choice of colour, uh, which is polite way of saying, you know, wrong. And, and it's not like that. No, genuinely, it was an interesting experience. It, it's not a film that I'm necessarily going to rush back to and want to watch again and again. However, I'm so glad that I have seen it. Yeah, yeah. I think all of us are glad to, are glad that we've seen it. It's just it's one of those films where it's it's just it's unique in its own right. You're meant to see it like once or twice and not yeah. really. Yeah. Um. What I will say, like without giving any spoilers away, content warning though, it does have a couple of curveballs around childhood trauma, which were a bit like whoa. So you know, I think that that's a fair content warning to put out there. Yeah, yeah, young children will like the monstery bits, but they 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 could very well be traumatized by some other stuff. <laughs> well, I, it's funny you say that because I mean, I'm going to It's it's a testament, it's a testament because you know, like we were really wowed by the puppets here. Like we got involved with this film, right? This is this is good oh, yes, directing. Definitely. So when certain things happen to these puppets and all three of us right now, you can't see us, but like we made the same face when this one moment was brought up and we were like <gasps> Did that just happen? She she just yeah whoa. oh yeah, um, and it, it go and it goes there, and we well, were all like, I mean, I, I am going to raise my hand up now and possibly reveal myself as a terrible human being because one of the people that watched the film with me was my five year old child, and the thing you are a terrible human being <laughs> because I was like, hey. You hoard toilet paper. Yeah. can already sense it. <laughs> I, I do not. You're that guy. <laughs> I am not that guy. I do not hoard toilet paper. How many loaves of bread did you buy today, Alex? Just Tell me. 12. <laughs> Tell me now. Just 12. Leave me alone. God damn it. Obviously, didn't go to I a Tesco. I need them more than everyone else. Yeah. No. Um, d- dear Lord. Um, so, no, I, I sat down. I w- watched it with my daughter. And I was like, hey, you like Team America, don't you? She's like, yes, Dad. Yes, I do like Team America. I was like, brilliant. <laughs> 
that, that, that. Yeah, and um, she was like, oh, puppets, that's cool. And, you know, most of the time it was, what's happening now, Dad? Because, of course, there's subtitles. What's happening now, Dad? Dad, ex- oh, Dad yeah. explain this line. <laughs> oh, they're saying that this person's a curse upon the village. Oh, what's happening now, Dad? Well, the monster's made a noise. What does that mean? <laughs> well, the monster said, Oh, and what does that mean? Well, it's angry. So there was lots of kind of, and now what, Daddy? And now what, Daddy? And now what's that mean? Uh, uh, Emma, what do you think of that on my wall? Ah, <laughs> oh, that's a cool picture, isn't it, of us? And I was like, oh, okay, quite quick. And the thing about it was that it was very easy to kind of like, you know, um, how can I put this? I manoeuvred her out of seeing it. However, yeah, it, it, there was a content warning. It was a, it was very quick. It's very quick, but it was that no, no, no. There's some very mature content in there, and I'm going to move on because, frankly, um, hoarding toilet paper would be would be less bad than um, than what I did with poor Emma there. So, yeah, I'm a terrible. Well, I'll um, I'll hold my hand up and say I didn't actually notice it first time round. Maybe it's because I was just watching it on a laptop. Oh, Paul's just that I'm, used I'm just... to seeing that sort of thing yeah. in real life. It was, there's lots of puppet. There's lots of puppet <laughs> pilots. See, I, I thought I remember that because I we, boys. we, we had a do. conversation between us, and then there was like a point when uh, Joe said, "But hey, that's such and such scene." And yeah. the first time I watched it. I didn't kind of click. And the second time was with my daughter. And I was like, hey, yeah, that's such and such scene. Wow, that was a bit awkward. And then, you know, Paul's like, what such and such scene? I don't know what you're on about. It's like, oh, yeah, it was quite subtle. Was it subtle? It, I think, I don't know if I was more aware of it because you pointed it out. But yeah, first time watching it, admittedly it was on a smaller screen. I didn't, hmm. I don't know. It was just, yeah. I, don't, I noticed it when I was watching it on the big screen. I was like, oh, yeah, yes. There it is. Mm. Wow. <laughs> yeah. I think I think let's let's move on from covert waffle. Um Yeah. Um actually oh. um Ooh. just we were saying Joe was saying earlier the um about this is based on the Foghorn. Yeah. By um yes. was it Ray Bradbury? Which is set completely mm-hmm. different time to this film. Um have either of you read the story? Oh yeah. Yeah? Love it. Love it, and Beast from Twenty Thousand Fathoms was also inspired by that story. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, Beast from Thousand. Uh, yeah, was also based upon this film. The Beast um, from there. I was because uh, the Beast from there. It's it's a new take, absolutely on, on the classic. <laughs> it's norm- normally, me that mushes up the words. Yeah, well, I was. I um. When was that book written? The one that you mentioned by oh Ray. God, that is, a, that is a good question. I cast someone Joe's a knowledge long time ago. Someone Google it. Um, in the meantime, I would actually like to read an excerpt from the story. Oh, culture. Mm-hmm. I'm going to try try not to blur it up. But um, yeah, it's, it's, it's only about six pages long. It is a very short story. And there was just a part that when I read it that made me think of the film and the general themes of it. And I thought, oh, joy, it might be nice to read that on the podcast. So mm-hmm. um, bear with me. A cry came across a million years of water and mist. A cry so anguished and alone, it shuddered in my head and my body. The monster cried out at the tower. The foghorn blew. The monster roared again. The foghorn blew. The monster opened its great toothed mouth, and the sound that came from it was the sound of the foghorn itself. Lonely and vast and far away, the sound of isolation, a viewless sea, a cold night, 
of Parkness. That was the sound. And that, I think, summarises the story of the film of, of loneliness um, yeah. quite well, quite haunting. And the themes around melancholy and um, like isolation. Yeah. Yeah. This, the book, by the way, was written in 1951. Okay. Um, the Foghorn itself, the way I've always read it, is it was kind of like a ghost story. So it it has that vibe for me. You have two guys in a lighthouse and they sit there all night and you basically have this creature, as you just read, Paul, that is lured by the the call or the sound of the foghorn, which is very similar to its call. But the way I view it as a ghost story is these two guys are getting creeped out late at night and this apparition appears from like the dark depths does its thing and then retreats back Yeah, just as if it had, I mean, like it is left, you know, ruin in its wake, but it, it retreats as if it was never there. And, you know, just to have something coming in and disappearing, you know, it, it really is like a creepy in the middle of the night type story, but because it's so iconic, it's inspired a lot of film and comic and even again, more short stories just based off of this one thing that Ray Bradbury came up with. So, yeah. so one of those stories that's so tropey and pulpy because actually it's what started a genre. It just strikes it stri- it strikes a yeah. nerve. It's just it's a really good it's a really good book. I recommend the yeah. or book short story. I really recommend that folks get it. I mean, you won't normally find it on its own. Um, it's normally like put together with like a, a like an anthology, you might say, of things that you have. Yeah, or well, you can just Google it. Yeah, but. Or you oh, that doesn't sound as nice though, does it? <laughs> Sorry, we're meant to be encouraged. It doesn't sound as nice, no. No, you know. go along to your local library. Or, you know, or you could Google it. Sure, <laughs> we can't go to libraries at the moment. Oh, there we go again. Or anywhere. What? Oh no! You can't go to libraries because I I I hoarded all of the toilet paper. Obviously, <laughs> we will find a way. Books aren't toilet paper, Alex. Oh, good. No. (laughs) We'll take our second break, folks. It's a new year, which means new reasons to stop by QT, like drinks to wash out the taste of last year. I need more. And fresh snackles worth breaking a resolution. Pizza has tomatoes, so technically, it's a salad. Want to binge a new show? We've got plenty to snack along with it, like our new cheesy mac and cheese. Wow, it's like my wife's, but even cheddar. Up top. This is the time for new beginnings, and it starts at Quick Trip. QT, more than a gas station. Untangling your headphones, finding the right remote, saying goodbye to your favorite shirt that hasn't fit in 10 years. Why are simple things sometimes so complicated? Thankfully, with auto owners, insurance doesn't have to be one of them. Auto owners works with independent agents who live in your community, know you by name, and answer when you call. So you can worry about more important things, like finding a new favorite shirt. That's simple human sense. Ask your independent agent if auto owners make sense for you. Hello and welcome back to the final part of Kaiju Curry House. I'm here with Alex and Joe discussing how from Beyond the Fog. We've talked about the film and now we're going to go through the Q&A, which will be led by our lovely Joe. Joe, talk us through the Q&A. Right. So Daisuke was really lovely. Uh, after we had uh, all watched the film, we came up with some questions. 
um, that we were asking him, and uh, he replied in kind. So we're just going to take you through a few of those. Now, mind you, some mild spoilers may occur here. It is a short short film, shorter film. So don't want to ruin anything for you, but um, what we tried to focus on was how he directed it and why he made certain decisions. So without further ado, I will take you through our questions and how he responded. So the first question that we asked is like, did you want to make a longer film or is the half hour mark what you were aiming for originally? And if so, why? So what he came back with, it was, uh, I originally planned to make a 40 minute film. My main focus was to use my budget as efficiently as possible while taking into account a proper shooting schedule with such a small staff. So he basically, he went for quality over quantity, which in this case would be time. So we've kind of gone over that already, but um, fair point. So the second question is, why did you choose a kaiju or a monster as opposed to a spirit or an apparition such as a water spirit? Which again goes back to, this is one of my questions. I view the foghorn as kind of like a ghost story, if you will. So he responded back with, from an early age, I have always loved monster films. The potential for what one could create in a monster film is extremely vast. Outside of the themes presented by the characters, I wanted to make it in the aesthetics of monsters and kimonos. So there we go. Um, he grew up on monster films, just like we did. And he wanted to do a mashup of different themes, which, to be fair, I think he nailed that. Would you guys disagree? Yeah, it worked. No, it worked fine. So yeah, I yep, spawned okay. with what he did. There we go. So again, this was one of the, obviously we were going to ask this one, but and Obviously, uh, he came with, back with a very good answer. Why did you opt for puppets instead of real actors? Obviously, this was an aesthetic decision, but knowing the reason behind the direction would be great. He goes, there are two reasons. First, by making the performers dolls, it was much easier to control the appearance, costumes, and schedule, as well as the acting direction. Second, much like how monster suits are made, by creating the humans in the same way, I felt the overall quality of the production would be elevated. Which, again, is what we all agreed with, because... The puppets add to the overall aesthetic of the film. At least that's my asserted uh, opinion. You guys? Yes, I think the the use of puppets for that film gave it more of an art house feel, and it suited mm-hmm. the tone. It yeah. also made it feel a bit more abstract. Yes. So I felt like I was less focused on the characters themselves and more on kind of the betrayal of the emotions. Um, I think that came through very much with the music alongside the visuals, if that makes sense. Yes. Yeah, I think it all goes together. It's, it's part. If it had live action, you know, real people, it would have lost something, wouldn't it? It, it feels like... Yeah. A- it could have worked. It could have yeah. worked nicely. Just it would have been a very different entity. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think it fits nicely being puppets. It's it wouldn't just- be as unique as it is. Yeah. There we go. Yeah. No, good choice. So the next question, again, this pertains to the puppets. The puppets are all their own unique characters, but you chose not to give each character varying facial expressions. Why is that? So mild spoiler for everybody. Um, The characters, um, they don't necessarily have like scowls or smiles or anything. It's just, it's a fairly blank expression on each puppet. However, the voice acting is where you get the character shining through. So there's the uh, appearance and then how they are dressed, but it's the voice acting that really mm. gives you the oomph in each one of them. So uh, 
His answer was, I originally planned to have the doll show facial expressions, but unfortunately we ran out of time to implement it. Frank uh, answer there, but there you are. Okay, yeah. <laughs> I quite like the honesty as well, actually, yeah. rather than, you know, manipulating an answer and making it sound like it was necessarily a deliberate choice, but just admitting that actually there's limitations of time. I think I respect him more for that. There we go. All right, so now we get into brass tacks here. This is another one of Joe's questions. Tell us about the monster. Could you please explain where you got the idea and the design from? So we've kind of already touched on this, but here we are from the source. I wanted to remake my own version of Ray Bradbury's short story, The Foghorn. In the outset, I had the idea of a story that incorporated the motif of a long-necked monster. I imagined that the monster had lived in nature for so long that the sediment on its back had sprouted life. I arranged the sediment and wild growth on the monster in a way that resembled a fantasy dragon, which became the nebula, which nebula being the creature in the film. So I think that's a very lovely answer because obviously you see some of his like long-standing enjoyment in the genre coming through in his own design of the creature. I like the fact that it's just been lying in this body of water that it inhabits for so long that the sediment has collected long enough mm-hmm. on its back for trees to grow up through it. Yeah, that's no, a cool design. Yeah. It's, um, yeah, you say it's... I, I, I'm yeah. searching for something profound, but it's, it's spot on. It's nice. <laughs> yeah. All right. So this is another one. And again, it kind of touches on what Daisuke had just given us as an answer in the previous one. But without necessarily knowing that ahead of time, we went ahead and asked this question. Anyway, the creature has a very distinctive roar. How was this created? And how did you settle on this sound for it? And he responded with, it is based on a modified, it is based and modified on a sound from the actual light horse. I can't speak. It is based on and modified um, on the sound of an actual lighthouse foghorn. So basically, Nebula's roar is a foghorn, very much like the creature in the foghorn short story. So there we are. I do love the um, roar, I have to say. Yeah, it's a very it's a very nice touch. It is very unique, isn't it? It's it's loud, but it's a foghorn. It's, <laughs> it's a foghorn. Yeah, it's just. <laughs> well, it's not just. It's a it's low a... bass tone. And I think yeah. um, towards the end of the film, without going into too many spoilers, it becomes almost piercing because it's used quite a lot, and you do see the villagers pretty much shuddering at the sound of it and you get the sense of the size of the monster but also the the reach of that roar it, you know it's doing damage just as some of the classic you know toho movies whilst they might not always be firing lasers their breath does knock down trees and you know you see with this uh, with this nebula that that roar has destructive power yeah there we go all right so um, the next one, the next question that we had for him is the story is very deep. Where did it come from and how was it inspired? So again, this is a very serious film. So we were curious as to uh, the origins of it. And his response was it was inspired by Ray Bradbury's The Foghorn, again, along with some incorporation from some of my own personal experiences and thoughts. Fair enough. There we go. But again, like he said earlier, it was kind of a mashup of different genres that he enjoyed and it became its own thing. So without staying too long on that, um, the next question that we had for him is like, why did you choose to go for 1909 as a time period as opposed to any other? 
which is a fair enough answer. It doesn't take place in the modern era. I like that question that you asked. As soon as you suggested that, I was like, no, I would not have thought of that. What was his answer? He responded with, from the Japanese point of view, stories set in the 19th and 20th century England would have a steampunk-like aesthetic. It is also an age that has a fantasy element ascribed to it. So in contrast, I felt that people not from Japan would also have that same element of fantasy during that time period. And I thought that if I could create something that would fit into that age of wonder. So I think that's exactly what you want to say. So this is really interesting. So from a cultural perspective, when he's saying someone from a Japanese, a Japanese audience member might look at um, like a, like an English gaslight picture, say, and, um, gaslight like you know that's what they use in the old street lamps here it's just kind of a uh, steampunk past victorian time um it has that aesthetic of being kind of steampunk and that is interesting because he's trying to flip that and give foreign audiences the same experience albeit with japanese um with japanese setting so that's great i like that did the two of you get that feel from the film I did like, get I did get that kind of um, it's it's a different film that I'm going to compare it to here, but uh, my neighbor Totoro, you get that fantasy, but at the same time, culture starting to move forward because you have things like buses and trains and you know, like not entirely modern, but you know becoming modern. So in the same sense, the setting that we have here is kind of like a forest village, but it is becoming more modern, and it's that Princess Mononoke. You know, my neighbor Totoro, you know, like where civilization is starting to accelerate and it's pushing out nature. And I think that he kind of nailed that in his film. Short as I it think is. you've you've made I think you've made some good comparisons there. No, I don't think they're out of place because when I think of my neighbor Totoro, there are some lovely moments when the dad is bathing with the kids and he's got that very large, you know, deep bath in that old bathroom and you get the sense with the paper doors and the sort you know the, the room divided it's a very old house and it's creaky and similarly you know the um the model house in Halvrumy on the fog it, it it's a very it's a very old house you know it's from a long time ago but then your other comparison to princess mononoke you were saying about kind of the the similarities there the muskets that get fired it reminded me when I watched it of that scene in Princess Mononoke when Lady Eboshi has all of her riflemen waiting for Morrow, the giant wolf, to attack them, and they're all firing those uh, those guns. Do you remember that part? Oh, yeah. Just made me think of that when they're, they're lighting the rifles, because it's sort of similar age of weaponry that you see in Hal from Beyond the Fog. Yeah. All right, so... I'm getting into brass tacks here. This is this is a mildly spoilery what question. What does that expression oh. mean? What does that expression mean? Help me out. A flashback? Oh. Not that it's a brass tacks. Oh, okay. We're well, we're getting down to it here. You know, this is this is uh, straight okay. straight talk here. This is a okay. mi- this is a mildly spoilery um, question. So be warned, folks. The flashback sequences the flashback sequences are beautiful despite being tragic. What is this art style, and how is it accomplished? So the film is mostly miniatures, puppets, and some sublimation. However, during flashback sequences, it goes to an absolutely beautiful, I would call it watercolor dream sequence. And it is breathtaking. This is one of like, um, 
my fellow audience member on my side that I watched it with, she absolutely loved these sequences. However, they were quite tragic. Um, his response, Daisuke's, is, is, a, is a visual used to take the form of human memory. I wanted to convey an art style similar to that seen in Japanese Japanese anime. So, fair enough. Um, he wanted, I mean, I didn't get an anime vibe about it. At all. It didn't feel like anime. It was beautiful. Yeah, it didn't. But it, it, it was like watching a poem. I think that would be how I yeah. described it. <laughs> it. I don't know. Yeah, it's. Um, they say it's, it's, it's. Yeah, I. It's water painting come to life. I it's, didn't remotely get any anime vibes from it, but he absolutely nailed the sense of this is not happening right now. This is a memory. Yeah, that, you got that immediately yeah. came through. Yeah. All right. So here we go. Some other questions. What would you say to persons wanting to create a film similar to the way you've gone about making this one? I would like that all that are passionate about making their own monster film to get fired up and make it. There are so many more movies that could be made with Kaiju as a key part. So he is clearly saying, you know, just go for it. If you're passionate, you'll make it happen. All right. So let's do it. Yeah. Are there yeah, well, right now? Us three. Yeah. Let's do it. Right now. Us three. Yeah. Yep. There we go. I'll put a, I'll put a paper bag in my head and walk around roaring. Um, as opposed go. to any other night <laughs> what I do in my free time is mine okay don't make fun of me for it so are there any plans for a European physical release um, he has responded I personally would like to but he is also in need of a distributor so if you know anybody Suke would probably love to hear from you folks alright so um, other than, of course, our convention, which we will be screening it. So there we are. Um, all right, next question. Why was the decision made to crowdfund the production of the monster suit? Was this the most challenging part of the production? All right, his response. Before making this, I worked on films that required making monster suits. So making Nebula was not too difficult. Probably the biggest issue was organizing the campaign to fund the suit, but it needed to be done so that I could realize the opportunity to get Mr. Morase to create another monster. So yes, this was very much a passion thing with him. He wanted this specific suit maker to be affiliated with his film to make his monster. And I can totally see that. We all have our favorite artists our favorite styles. And in this case, his suit making hero was able to make his creation a reality. And I totally understand that he wanted to go about doing that. Great. So let's see. All right. So I understand this film was influenced by the short story by Ray Bradbury, the foghorn. Are there any other stories that would, you would like to adapt to a film? So this is, this is again, this is asking him about his wish list of things that he'd like to do. His response, I am still contemplating what my next production would be, but as far as other literary influence, I, consist, I constantly review the works of Yomo Del Toro's Pan's Labyrinth, Kan Ichikawa's Yatsuka. <laughs> I, am, I, am, I apologize. I'm American. <laughs> I, I can't do this. Yat, Yatsuka Mura? Thank you. Nailed it. Nailed, Nailed it. it. First go. That's Eight, grade, eight Grave Village. Hayao Miyazaki's Mononoke Hime. And I also really enjoy the manga Mushishi. More, more, mushy, mushy. Mushy, mushy. mushy, mushy. Okay. I apologize, folks. I get tongue tied pretty easily. All right. So, the next question What monster movies had its biggest impact on you and why? His response, and it's a classy answer, folks. 
Godzilla vs. Biollante has the biggest effect on me. Not only is this the first monster movie I ever saw, but at the same time, by the time I viewed it, I knew that I wanted to be working on and making monster films. So there we go. So he was oh, instantly a kaiju fan. Wow. And, I mean, yeah. everyone holds Godzilla vs. Biollante in such high esteem. Like, That's because it's, it's a good movie. Except for you. Yeah. I'm guessing. It's a good movie. I, I, I didn't, didn't enjoy it. Oh, I mean, I think, I think, I think, yeah, not genuinely. Well. I think the mo- I think the monster is second to none. I think it's absolutely incredible. But I just thought, kind of, the surrounding story was just very dull. I, I just didn't get much out of it. But then I feel like, for how many people love it, I'm like, no, 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 it's definitely me. Which I say that to everyone <laughs> who's like, oh, we, I we are enjoy Godzilla. Yeah, but like if someone says to me, oh, Godzilla vs. Megalon was dog shit, I'd be like, no, 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 you're wrong. You need to rewatch <laughs> it again with me staring at you, smiling, going, do you like it? Do you like it? You know, so <laughs> I, I think I need to kind of watch Godzilla vs. Biollante again. You know, if, if Daisuke Sato says it's a good film, right, it must be a good film. That That's how this works. There we go. All your, right. your catchphrase tonight has been, there you go. Did you know that? There you go. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> um, we are at the end of our episode there you go I've broken Alex I've broken Alex I've knocked my laptop in shock trying to hit you Joe you terrible human being um, if nothing else Joe if nothing else um, what I think you should do is you should go out and find all the weird and wonderful art house films that you can. But I will also suggest reading The Foghorn by Ray Bradbury and also um, one of his more famous books, A Sound of Thunder. It is basically the butterfly effect turned into a series of novels and short stories, and he did an amazing job of it, and they're quite well known. But uh, Ray Bradbury was a prolific author, and he wrote many science fiction stories, many of which have been adapted into film. But The Foghorn is a great one, and you can read a lot of them at your local library, and obviously not right now during coronavirus time. But if you go on things like a Kindle or a similar service, you can find them quite readily. So I would suggest doing that. They will help you pass the time. Thank you for that, Joe. Um, for myself, if nothing else, I want to give a shout out to the artist who assisted Daisuke Sato with the promotional poster work. That artist is, I'm going to, I'm going to butcher a name now. It's Tomoaki Matsumoto and their Twitter name, I'm going to spell it out, is M-A-T-S-U Matsu. T-O-M-O, so Matsutomo G-I-G-A, Matsutomo Giga. And they are a fairly sort of under-the-radar kaiju digital artist, and they've not got loads of content out there, but what I've seen I'm impressed by, and they certainly fall under kind of the category of this person deserves more followers. So give them a look. They are Tomoaki Matsumoto. And when we come to our convention, positive mindset here, when it happens, it will happen. 
I've been given permission from Tomoaki Matsumoto and Daisuke Sato together to print out a large, you know, nice big size promotional poster for Howl From Beyond the Fog, and we are going to charity auction that for our very brilliant charity that Joe is going to give a shout out to now personally to explain what that charity is all about. So our charity is Naomi House and Jack Space, and it's a children's hospice. And essentially what they do is they uh, help families during a really hard time, and they make um, the twilight stages of their uh, patients and uh, people that they're looking after as wonderful as possible. They do things like taking them to the cinema, um, arranging activities for them, doing all these really wholesome things that everybody deserves to have in life. So we uh, we just want to make sure that uh, we can support them as much as we can. And we'll be hosting a charity auction and then also some proceeds from the con will go towards them as well. And I think that just to extend on that, it's really important that any listeners who might have some contacts that we're unaware of, you know, it might be that you know people in any sector that actually, you know, you could get in touch with and they might be willing to donate something for this charity auction. It doesn't have to be something big or elaborate. I'm very fortunate that I've been kind of clued in with Daisuke Sato and similarly with the Jidora heads. They're trying to sort out a joint autograph. That's not going to be hoarded by any of us. That would go to charity auction. You know, it doesn't have to be something ridiculously unusual like that. If it's just a simple fact as, oh, you've got some extra DVDs, throw them in. You know, just any way that we can build up this charity auction to get as much money raised for this as possible, that would be really, really positive and um, make this year better. You know, that's, that's what we want. Uh, to conclude, Paul, if nothing else. Um, if nothing else, um, I guess, first of all, stay safe and look after one another out there. It's it's troubling times. Um, if you're interested in those Alien and Predator comics, um, Alien comes out April 22nd, Predator comes out June 10th. And following our discussion earlier on, I'm now going to have to go and play Alien Isolation. <laughs> so I invite all our, all our listeners to do the same. And if you've got the camera, make sure it's plugged in so you get the full experience. Yeah, you can find Alien Isolation on the um, the eShop for the Nintendo Switch. And I was able to bag Alien Isolation with DLC on my PS4. And no tell of a lie, I picked it up for like seven quid with everything thrown in. Yeah, You know, it's like... Yeah, I mean... Wow, yeah. well worth it. Oh, most definitely. F- phenomenal price. Thank you very much, everyone. It's been really great to sit down and, you know, shoot the poop about this. So thank you. It's been great. And there it is. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks for listening, everyone. Keep it kaiju. Keep it kaiju, folks. Kaiju Curry House is part of the Heroes Podcast Network and produced by UK Kaiju with music by Flying Killer Robots. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe at heroespodcast.com or on the various podcast services such as Apple iTunes, Google Play, or just about any podcast app. If you want to get involved with the show, please tweet us at UKKaiju and check out ukkaiju.com for the latest news, events, and kaiju thoughts from all of us. Thanks for listening.
Optimum Business Your Way gives you 300 meg speed secure internet with the option to add any combination of services like smart Wi-Fi, mobile, and premier technical support. It's internet with built-in security for just $39.95 a month for one year when bundled with voice. And get up to a $100 Visa prepaid card when you upgrade. Save with Optimum Business Your Way. Call 866-218-3645 or visit Optimum.com slash business today. Offer for new business customers only. Advertised price reflects $5 auto pay discount. Taxes, fees, equipment charges, and restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Visit website for details. Me, 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 but also you. <laughs> the Pharaoh fast forwards his favorite foreign film. Powder donut. <clears throat> okay, what's my line? Uh, the only line I see here on the script is get options based on your budget with the name your price tool from Progressive. Oh man, that's a tongue twister, huh? I'm sorry, I'm gonna need a few more minutes. <clears throat> bulbous walrus, the bulbous walrus. The name your price tool, only from Progressive. The owl and a foul of the comatose coxswain. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.